Welcome to Activate, a podcast for mobile marketers brought to you by Remerge. Take a short break from your screen and listen to what's working in mobile marketing and what's not, straight from the people who are doing it now. Are you ready? Let's get started. Hey, everyone. You're tuned into yet another episode of the Activate podcast. I'm Tommy from Remerge. Today, we have someone I've really been looking forward to talking to on the line with us. We got Matt Sadowski, who is currently the Chief Growth Officer and Chief Marketing Officer at Studio. Matt, what is up? Hey, how's it going, Tommy? It's going awesome. It's Monday and it's 9 a.m., so things could be a little better. But for the most part, this is a good way to start out the week, I'd argue. That is true. And especially with the weather we had over the weekend, I'll gladly take this. Absolutely brutal. I had to drive up to Portland, Maine yesterday from Boston, which isn't too bad. It's like two and a half hours, but literally both ways, just absolutely torrential downpour for five straight hours. Just an absolutely brutal experience on a Sunday. So it feels good to be out of that. But thanks so much for joining us. How's life? Life is good, man. I'm excited to be on the podcast and talking about some fun things with you. And just a new role as well is always fun. Yeah, man. So you've been someone we wanted to chat with for a while because you do have quite a bit of experience in this space and you have experience in a solid diversity of verticals. And obviously, I'm aware that you recently joined Studio, but would you mind taking a few seconds to tell us a little bit about your backstory and also what you're up to now and maybe what Studio is? So I guess I've really more or less always been in the mobile space. I really started off in the dating space, which was interesting, primarily because I've never used a dating app before, personally. So I had to learn how to market and was responsible for everything from marketing insights and analytics to actually executing campaigns, affiliate programs, all that fun stuff. What company was that? It's called Snap Interactive. They had a couple of dating apps. Yeah, Paul Talk and all those, right? Paul Talk, Paul yeah. Talk. But they now have switched to be a B2B blockchain consultancy. Funny how things work out. Yep. I guess that's another form of dating in their eyes. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> well, after the dating stint, I, I switched over to the gaming industry where I joined Tilting Point as their director of growth, really helped them build out all of their marketing tech that they had built out the entire user acquisition team, built out the entire agency side of their business, uh, watched Tilting Point go from 18 to 85 people and go international during my two years there. So that was a ton of fun. And then joined Tidal, the music streaming service, where I ran all of the consumer marketing there. And more recently, just joined Studio as their chief growth officer and CMO. Studio provides instructor-led video classes for treadmill, outdoor run, stretching, and floor-slash-sculpt workouts. Uh, We're producing 6 to 15 workouts a day right now. So all HD video that you can get right on your phone for $14.99 a month. I am a member of Studio, and I really enjoy it. I love it when I'm traveling. I actually use it quite a bit because if I don't have a gym... Wherever you know I'm staying in a hotel, they provide some really awesome body workouts. So I do use it. Awesome app. That's pretty crazy though overall. You so how many years is this again that you've been in the we'll call it mobile app space? Uh, I guess five going on six. And you have the wonderful advantage of having experience then in dating, gaming, music, and health and fitness, correct? Correct. That's pretty badass. You're in health now, right? Do you miss dating at all? That space? No, not dating. 
music and gaming maybe that'll catch up to me at some point where i'll miss it but not dating not dating (laughs) (laughs) yeah man the dating app game i'm so happy i don't have to do it very fortunate to have a a wonderful partner but it kind of scares the shit out of me there's an inherent misalignment between the business and the end goal, right? Because as a business, we don't want you to find someone because then you're not a paying customer anymore. Yeah. So it's a weird business. I actually heard one app that actually was doing, and again, I'm not familiar with the dating scene at all, so maybe I'm wrong in this, but I was at the AGS conference in San Francisco this past week, and there's an app called Her. Have you heard of Her? No. I believe it's like a gay-oriented dating app. Either way, what I thought they did that was genius was they actually said, so you're right, right? For I think 90% of the cases of dating apps, right? They don't actually want you to find someone because then you're not going to use the app. But in their case, they're really smart in that they've said their ultimate goal is to always let you like help you find someone for real. And so what they did in their app was they also made a community section. So after you found someone, you can go into the community section and you can find just new friends to hang out with in like a more plutonic way or find people to go on double dates with or find people to go to concerts with, all sorts of stuff like that. Smart. Which I thought was a really cool way to kind of maintain engagement after you've reached that end goal of finding true love. Yeah, absolutely. That's cool. Yeah, it was an interesting use case. But in any case, this podcast is not going to be about dating. I do find that space incredibly interesting. And I think you hit on a cool point there. But having been in this space for around six years, having worked in a variety of verticals in leadership roles for the most part and helped a lot of companies grow, you've obviously seen a lot of success. So I don't want to take a negative kind of tone to this podcast, but I do think, I know you're opinionated and I'm opinionated. And, and so I am genuinely curious to hear kind of your thoughts on what are some things that maybe mobile marketers are doing wrong or maybe things that even you have done wrong that you learned over the years that you think really are topics that we're potentially overlooking in this industry? There's a few. <laughs> <laughs> and I think, yeah, it comes from just, you know, my own experience and seeing what other people are doing as well. And just seeing how the industry's changed and seeing how people can be a little slow to adopt sometimes. I think the biggest one for me and Lomit, actually, if you know Lomit, he actually just wrote a book called Lean AI, which is very much in the same vein of the stuff that I've been preaching for a while. And that's don't over bloat. You can create a lean marketing machine using technology nowadays. There are a million ways you could build it in-house. You could use external tools. Bitalgo, a great way to plug and play some machine learning insights to your Facebook campaigns. Clearbrain, a company that I advise for great tool for driving some machine learning insights to your segmentation and your user journeys. There's ways that you could build these really robust pipelines and even tools that'll do automation and management for you, where you don't need the size of teams that some companies still have in their marketing departments. Actually, Uber let go of 400 people from their marketing department. I heard a big part of that reason was they built a really self-sufficient in-house DSP. That's super. I actually hadn't heard that. That's a lot of people. Wow. Okay. Don't overblow. So tell me this, like, what is your ideal team look like, like in terms of size and function then? Yeah, so it depends on your, your scale. I think if you're spending, let's say, less than $200,000 a month, you probably don't need more than one UA manager. Unless you have hundreds of thousands of MAU, you probably don't need more than one or two people managing your CRM and messaging. So your in-app, your push, your email. 
And I don't know if you quite need an in-house data scientist at that point, but it would be good at least have an analyst that can help you drive insights and optimize. And if you have the budget bringing creative resources in-house, at least maybe one person that could do a bit of video and art might be a good mix. So we're talking maybe three to four people maximum, all working on marketing. Yeah. And that's, you know, with an annual marketing budget, let's say in the two to five million range. Okay. Once you're starting to spend five million plus, or even start approaching that million dollar a month, so 12 million plus a year range, then you might want to bring on two or three UA managers, especially if you're international and have to worry about localization and all that fun stuff. You're probably going to need more retention CRM managers to handle again, all that different localization, all the different user journeys. Definitely want to bring at least a data scientist in-house at this point. And you should have a pretty robust creative team because at that size, you're going to need to be outputting two to five new creative every week. So when you think about it, though, my equivalency that I always take a look at is if it's going to cost me 12% to hire an agency to do these things, can my effective cost of hiring in-house be less than the cost of going through an agency? If the answer is yes, then hire in-house. If the answer is no, then don't. Yeah. Where's a place where you think overbloating occurs the most, I guess, in terms of job function? Do you see it like happening more on the UA front than the creative front, for example? Or is there a particular job responsibility where you see this happening time and time again? It's definitely on the UA front. And I actually think retention marketing actually is completely underserved. You sometimes have one or two people managing all of your messaging, and you have a five or six person team managing your media buying. And I get it. There could be a lot of different places to buy media. But with Facebook becoming so streamlined, with Google becoming so streamlined, Apple will pretty much manage your Apple search ads campaigns for you. There's really great partners you could use for TV buying now. There's even a programmatic TV that does linear TV buys. You really don't need as many people. But it's a lot harder to get someone back once they leave than it is to acquire a new user. Yeah. So you should spend all your time, well, not all your time, <laughs> but a lot of your time on getting people to stay once you have them. Yeah. And that doesn't just mean, obviously, because when we think UA, we're thinking paid media, right? And when you're talking retention, you're not necessarily saying we should be getting more employees to run retargeting campaigns even. It's, it's also potentially like product marketing, app flow and feel, registration forms, all that stuff, right? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I signed Studio up for trymyui.com and I'm running usability tests and I have actually three different types of surveys that I'm sending to users depending on where they are in our life cycle. And I'm collecting a ton of data on what percentage of people like us. I'm doing like an NPS type survey. And then for the people who don't like us, I'm figuring out exactly why they don't. And me and the CEO look through this once a week and we say, okay, well, here's the most requested features. Here are the biggest pain points. Let's address these. And then on top of that, we're thinking, okay, what's our messaging strategy? Right now, for example, we don't send a daily recap email or weekly recap email. I think that would be great for retention. We don't send you a push notification before your favorite instructor's new class goes live. That could be a great thing for retention. So starting to think about all these different things from the product and through communications that we can do. And then, yeah, once we think somebody's at risk of churning or does churn, then we start retargeting them with email, push notification, and then ultimately ads. Yep. So really, it's a large, full-bodied, multi-touchpoint initiative. And it starts with that kind of 
I guess you'd call it both, but qualitative analysis in the form of, hey, let's get some anecdotal experience data on our side and let that start educating some of our programs pertaining these customers, right? Yeah, I think a lot of people tend to think that that responsibility lies solely with the product team. Product teams are great at building new features, at cleaning up UI, UX. And yes, they do think about how to retain a user, but they just think differently than the way a marketer thinks about it. And sometimes it's good to get sit down with your product person and, and really have your head of growth, your head of marketing, really be closely integrated with them. Because I think you get some really nice synergies when that happens. Yeah, it totally makes sense. Kind of some of this leads kind of somewhat unrelated question, but I'm curious to get your thoughts on it. Like, do you think, so Facebook, Google, Apple search, you had mentioned, so those are like what we think of as kind of the three giants in the space where you probably, when you're thinking about UI, spend the majority of your dollars, right? Do you think those three, and maybe even the space comprehensively, have we gotten better at paid media? Is paid media becoming more or less effective for marketers these days? And maybe it's potentially getting less effective with competition, but curious to get your thoughts on kind of where the status of the industry is in that regard. You know, I think in the very early days, it was very compelling and actually drove quite a bit of value. You know, back in the days where your average CPI on Facebook was probably down around a dollar, but those days are far gone. So over the last three years, has it really changed much in terms of the value? I don't really know. But I think, and I know you and me both feel very strongly about this, I think where we're starting to see a shift is when people now aren't just looking at the numbers that Facebook's reporting, but actually looking at what's the true incremental value of Facebook. Yes, my favorite topic, Matt. (laughs) (laughs) I think we're getting smarter about saying, okay, well, I spent $1,000 on Facebook. It says I got 500 installs, but my organics went down by 150. So maybe I only got 350 installs. And I think we're being more critical of every dollar we're spending because the market seen a lot of companies, take a look at the IPO market, a lot of big companies going public or trying to go public, but they have these massive losses on their balance sheet and they're not IPOing that well. And the big line item for them is typically marketing. And that's just a lot of companies just throw money. Do you think that's a big driver here and kind of why we've shifted more focus to being more meticulous about our media spend? It's got to be a contributing factor. I mean, again, look, Uber let go of 400 people from their marketing team. It's WeWork is planning on letting go of a ton of people. They just didn't have the cash to pay severance packages. These companies are spending hundreds of millions of dollars a year on marketing. And when you take a look at their effective cost per acquired customer, some of them are actually quite high. The only reason why they're being successful in like an IPO is because the evaluation of the value per user that they have is through the roof right now. We're at a, you know, it's a strong economy at the moment. So I think any economic downturn and you're going to see uh, some of these marketing budgets just be unsustainable. So I think as companies are getting smarter and they're starting to look at incrementality, not just in retargeting, but in user acquisition, I think you're going to see marketing budgets actually pull back a little bit. I actually saw something today or yesterday that was saying that marketing spend is in mobile is actually the growth is slowing down. Yeah. It's maybe slowing down, but it's to your point, right? Maybe it's just getting smarter as well, right? Maybe we've been spending money for years and years on non-incremental users. And maybe that's kind of one of the big shifts that we're seeing here is both 
let's use more automated tools to get in front of more specific audience groups that will hopefully be more incremental to us. And let's also on the back end of that measure incrementality so that we're actually sure we're driving value here. Yeah. Now you hit on something interesting with, and I, a lot of these podcasts end up, and maybe it's because I'm the guy on the other end of them. They do. A lot of them end up being focused on incrementality. So I don't want to spend too much time on it, but I'm curious because you brought up something that I think is interesting and incrementality within user acquisition is incredibly challenging, right? Like incrementality programs in the context of retargeting, not straightforward, but straightforward enough because you have predetermined audience groups, right? Are you saying that one of the ways that you're able to judge your incrementality within new user acquisition programs is by closely monitoring what are the potential changes or causal effects of organic growth or decline in conjunction with when you maybe launch a new paid program? Is that part of your analysis? It's part of it. There's a couple of different ways I look at it. One is, yes, that baseline lift analysis. There's factors that come into play. In it. And if you don't have more than, let's say, two years worth of data, it could be hard to know is part of this due to seasonality. For example, for fitness, Q1 and Q4 are typically strong. Q2 and Q3, people are out and about and don't want to think about signing up for a fitness app. So you know that's something that could be impactful in that analysis. But if you're looking at like a week over week change and you have a pretty large step change in organics and it's timed well with a big change in a marketing campaign, there could be some attribution there. Or if you're a very small app, it's typically very easy to see. I also take a look at what I call the similarity method. It's pretty much just saying that your organics should be very different intent than people who come in through a paid channel. So measuring to see how similar a source of traffic is to that of your organic in terms of app usage behavior and seeing if something looks identical to organic or very close to organic. I've all done scrutinize that source a little bit more. Really? I figured with like my perception in acquisition campaigns, it's always that let's take the example of studio. Hey, we know the composition of our audience, right? It, let's just say for the sake of an argument that, this could be totally wrong, right? Let's just say it's males, females aged, I don't know, 18 to 35 or something like that, right? My thought was always that you would go then to places like Facebook and places like any sort of network or DSP and start running look-like models and start running audience personas that target that specific group. Even with that, you would still expect their behavior to be different than your existing organic users? Oh, absolutely. By happenstance, sometimes it's not. And that's why none of these analyses are perfect. Yeah, uh, they're more directional. Directional, yeah. But think about it. You're organic. Let's take Studio for example. I know most of the people that are installing Studio organically are searching for Studio. Mm -hmm. So these were people who already had a preconceived notion that they were going to download Studio, that they were going to start a trial, that they were going to use it. Maybe their friend recommended it. Maybe they saw an ad for it, and we're outside the attribution window now, and they go, "Oh my God, wait! I wanted to go check that out." There could be a ton of reasons why they get there, but they're very high intent. They are specifically looking for this. So I'm expecting typically better retention, better install to trial start rates, the couple of different metrics we could take a look at, right? Well, somebody who's coming in from a marketing channel, they see an ad, they get to the app store, they download it. And now they're hit with a paywall to start a trial. It's a very different user experience, very different expectation. So we should see a difference. Is there always a difference? No. Is it always because of misattributing organics? No. Sometimes it just happenstance that you have a really well-targeted campaign that does well. Yeah. 
So with these directional UA incrementality methodologies or strategies that you've put in place in the past, what is your general perception then of user acquisition? Do you feel like maybe for many years now we've been spending non-incremental to get non-incremental users? Was it like when you started digging into this more and more, did, was it at all eye-opening for you or was this something that you always kind of expected as a UA marketer? I expected it to a certain extent, but kind of blew my mind on how similar some sources were to organic, especially when you're looking at view through attribution. There was this one DSP, I won't name them, I'll give them that benefit, that I was working with, and they were heavily, heavily, heavily reliant on view through attribution for their campaigns. And when I did my analysis, the similarity of method analysis, I found that even taking the absolute difference across four different metrics between my organic and this DSP, it was like an 8% aggregated difference in terms of behavioral usage. And to me, you know, the average app when I do this analysis is normally in the 50 to 100 range. So sorry, publisher. So for me, it was, okay, this source is probably just straight up organic. So I went back and I talked with them and they said, yeah, we know we actually think that we have an issue with our campaigns where we're actually struggling to get good click-through traffic and we're just over-relying on misattributed organics. So we're actually going to work towards shutting down view-through attribution and only focusing on click-through. So it was actually a really interesting conversation. And it was just fascinating to hear that this DSP as well was also aware of this and working to fix it. So I think the industry is becoming a little bit smarter on both the publisher and advertiser sides and the vendor sides. Good. Well, I'm happy to hear we're getting smarter on, on all fronts. <laughs> We've hit on, I would say, two things that people are doing wrong, right? Overbloating teams and maybe not focusing on incremental KPIs or misattributing organics or whatever you want to call it, right? Is there anything else that you want to touch on that maybe we're overlooking or we're doing wrong as kind of, well, actually, we'll just call it like parting thoughts for this podcast. One last piece of information that, that you think we can focus on? I think touched on it a little bit earlier, talking about building out an in-house creative team. But I think one thing that some companies really forget to do is really iterate on creative. Mm. Social creative burn or even creative burn on a DSP or a network or even your copy on Google, all of this can get stale really quickly. If you're spending north of $100,000 a month, you should be producing at least a couple of new creative directions every week. Yeah. And then iterations on top of that. I agree with you. And in my experience, and it's not about me, this podcast, but it's something that I feel pretty passionate about more and more as I start to look at more and more creatives. You're right, right? Like we do not iterate nearly enough, especially given the volume of ads we serve and how many people you serve them to. And the other thing that I found is kind of interesting in this space is I don't feel like the creatives are creative enough in many cases, and they're not compelling enough. And they, you know, in the case of retargeting, like I'll often find game developers or or anyone, any app developer, right, who just basically puts an ad out there and says their brand name and open now or something like that with a cool graphic. And I'm always thinking to myself, what is that supposed to tell the user? Is that compelling enough? What is the message that you're trying to get across to them? Do user acquisition and retention marketers, are they trying to really think about what are funny or compelling messages we can bring to users? Or is it more just a matter of getting in front of them? You know, I think the problem is user acquisition marketers, well, I think we all strive to balance creativity and analytics. I think we all skew slightly more towards the analytics side. And very few companies, unless you're a very large company, 
as an in-house creative director for their user acquisition program. So when you're thinking about, okay, I have to manage all these media placements. Oh, now I need to come up with all the creative direction. It's like, okay, let me go see what my competitors are doing, iterate off of those. And let me try to come up with one or two unique ideas myself. But a lot of companies have strict brand guidelines. A lot of companies have all these rules in place that puts you in a box and you can't really iterate. A big part of the reason why I joined Studio was the CEO, when I was interviewing, said to me, if it works, let's go do it. He's like, I want it to be iterative. I want it to be tested. I want it to be creative. I want to have fun with it. And For me, that was just like a breath of fresh air from the space. I think you make a good point. It's that like, everything seems kind of iterative to a degree, right? Like within any vertical, it's you're right. We're taking something that works and we all just apply the same kind of methodologies with a few iterations, right? So having that liberty must feel awesome. Yeah, we have a framework, but at the end of the day, none of us really know what's going to work. It's all testing. I was talking to some people at studio the other day and I was talking about all these changes I want to make to something in app. And they were like, oh, well, we kind of like this design. Other people were like, I like this design. I was like, look, I don't care if you like my design or you like someone else's design. I'm like, let's just test. And you know, the data will let us know. Yeah. But you have to be willing to test. You have to be willing to go in completely different directions. Because if you're just changing a button from blue to green, or you're changing your copy from open now to play now, you're not going to get anywhere. Those type of iterations are only useful if you have a massive creative team that could sit there and pump those out all day. If not, go big. Try doing a live action ad versus a 3D ad versus a illustration, versus a really sad personal story. Who knows? Go broad. I like that. So your message would be then, if you have a smaller creative team, don't focus on the tiny, like obviously within reason, right? Like don't lose focus of the small pieces of the ads, but really focus on what are big ad changes I can make between each of these units or each of these ideas that can actually reveal something for me. Absolutely. And until you hone in on a direction that's just absolutely killing it and you're making a ton of money back on your marketing, you haven't found the right message yet. So keep on going. That's awesome. Matt, thank you so much, man. You're always so insightful. We really appreciate your time. It's really a blessing to have you on this podcast and we appreciate it, man. I hope this was fun for you. No, this is great. Always a pleasure to get into chat. Yeah. I think the next time we talk, I believe we're supposed to set up some sort of debate between you and I. So hopefully we'll make that happen. <laughs> that is true. Oh, this debate's going to happen. It's going to be fun. I know. I thought about diving into a little bit in this podcast, but I agreed with 95% of what you said. <laughs> we can cover the 5% some other time. <laughs> Sounds good. All right. Thank you, brother. It's always great to have you. Sounds good. Thanks for taking a break with us and listening to our weekly episode of Activate by Remerge. If you enjoyed what you heard, leave us a five-star review on iTunes and tell your friends about the podcast. The more people you tell, the further we can spread these awesome mobile marketing insights. See you next week.